On a late October afternoon in 1961, police responding to an emergency call in Lincoln, Massachusetts, followed a trail of blood from the end of a driveway into the suburban home of Martin and Joan Risch. Inside, police found turned over furniture, a disconnected telephone, and blood drops and smears on floors and walls, suggesting a violent struggle. Or was it something else entirely? On that fateful day, Joan Risch had been caring for her two young children while her husband was away on a business trip. The couple's children were found safe, but Joan was gone. Now, in the 60 years since she vanished, speculation has grown based on Joan's actions prior to her disappearance. Was Joan Risch the original Gone Girl? Or was she the victim of a horrific crime or a tragic accident. This is an American mystery. A look into the disappearance of Joan Risch. Joan Carolyn Bard was born on May 12, 1930, in Brooklyn, New York. The only child of Harold and Josephine Bard, when she was eight years old, her family moved to Mountain Lakes, New Jersey. It was in New Jersey that on a bitterly cold night in February of 1939, Joan's parents would die in a suspicious house fire. According to aged newspaper reports, Harold, a 42-year-old World War I veteran, and his wife, 38-year-old Josephine, had died as the result of smoke inhalation related to the fire. Fire officials would say later that Harold was found on his living room floor with a telephone in his hand, and Josephine, was found just a few feet away from him, sitting in a chair. Oddly enough, the family dog was discovered in the basement of the home, wrapped in a blanket. None of the bodies had been burned. Now, at the time of the fire, Joan had been visiting her grandmother, Nellie. She would later be adopted by her aunt and uncle, Alice and Frank Natris who themselves had lost a young child in 1929. Despite this early childhood tragedy, Joan would go on to have a stable upbringing with her aunt and uncle in New Rochelle, New York, and eventually she would take their last name. She would graduate high school in 1948, and she was awarded a scholarship to attend Wilson College in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, where she graduated with a B.A. in English Literature. Joan would hold several entry-level positions before securing her first job as an editorial assistant. It was while working for New York City book publisher Thomas Y. Crowell that she met future husband Martin Risch at a football game. The couple married in 1956, and in 1957, they welcomed their first child, a daughter named Lillian. Their son David followed in 1959. In April of 1961, the family settled in Lincoln, Massachusetts, making quick friends with their neighbors and making close connections in the community. Joan had become active in the League of Women Voters, while Martin took a job with the Fitchburg Paper Company. It seemed Joan and Martin Risch had found their forever home, 
a nice quiet place to raise their children. But in just six short months, Joan Risch would disappear forever. According to the Peace Together timeline, just before 7 a.m. on October 24, 1961, Martin Risch left for Logan Airport to catch an 8 a.m. flight for an overnight business trip he had in New York. At 9.30 that same morning, Joan dropped two-year-old David off at neighbor Barbara Baker's house and then brought four-year-old Lillian with her to a dental appointment. Joan's dentist, Paul Goldstein, would state later that Joan had a cavity filled and left at around 10.15 a.m. He did not report anything unusual or different about Joan's demeanor that day. After the dental appointment, Joan and Lillian went shopping nearby. Joan bought clothes for herself and David, then returned home at 10.55 a.m. At 11 a.m., Joan picked David up from Barbara Baker's house. Then at 1.20 p.m., Barbara allowed her young son, Douglas, to walk over to the Rish home to play with Lillian, while Joan did some gardening. Then, at 1.55 p.m., Joan brought Douglas and Lillian back to Barbara's house so they could continue to play. Now it is unknown what occurred in the 20 minutes that passed from when Joan dropped the children off, but at approximately 2.15, Barbara indicated she saw Joan in her trench coat moving quickly up her driveway, possibly holding something red. This is considered the last sighting of Joan Risch. At 3.45 p.m., Barbara sent Lillian back home and then left to go shopping. She then returned at 4.15 p.m. Shortly after Barbara returned home, Lillian came back running to Barbara's house. She was crying and told Barbara that her mommy was gone and that their kitchen was covered in red paint. Barbara went over to the Rish home and found the blood smeared on the floor of the kitchen and David crying in his crib. At 4.33 p.m., Barbara called the police. The first police officers arrived on the scene at 4.40 p.m., According to their report, blood was found smeared on the floor and walls of the kitchen, and a roll of paper towels on the floor looked to have been used in a poor attempt to clean it up. A trash can that was normally stored under the kitchen sink was found in the center of the kitchen with the handset from the wall-mounted telephone inside of it, along with an empty liquor bottle and several empty beer bottles. Among turned-over furniture, Blood drops were found leading upstairs and inside both the master bedroom and children's rooms. More blood was found in a trail on the driveway and in three smears on the outside of Joan's car. Interestingly, a phone book was found open to a page where emergency numbers would typically be listed, but no numbers had been written down on those pages. Among all this, no other traces of Joan Risch were found. 
In the immediate aftermath of Joan's disappearance, inside information slowly trickled out into the public about the day she vanished. Several neighbors had reported to police that they had seen someone they thought could have been Joan wandering north on Route 128, approximately 300 yards from the Rish residence. Now at that time, Route 128 was under heavy construction, and searches conducted in that area did not turn up anything. Other neighbors would report a blue two-tone car in the area. A milkman even said he believed he had seen the same car parked in the Rish driveway several days prior to Joan's disappearance. But nothing else is known about that car or if it is significant to Joan's case. Over the next several months and years, police went through the tedious task of clearing every known male who knew or had any contact with Joan or the Rish home, from Martin Rish himself to the milkman and even the dry cleaner who delivered to the home on that day. All were cleared from any suspected involvement or wrongdoing in Joan's disappearance. Nothing seemed to point investigators in a direction that could solve this case or to the whereabouts of Joan Rish. However, with the passing of time and the re-examination of the evidence they did have Investigators came up with several potential scenarios of what may have happened to Joan Rish on that fateful afternoon. At first glance, police theorized that what they had discovered in the Rish home was the remnants of a robbery gone wrong. However, Joan's purse was found untouched in a closet. And other than Joan herself, nothing else was missing from the home. Investigators later determined that the amount of blood at the scene was not suggestive of a life-threatening injury. In total, only half of a pint of blood, which is the equivalent of one cup, was found in and outside of the Rish home, which was more consistent with an injury and the trail with turned-over furniture leading out from the kitchen suggested confusion or a struggle leading out of the home and ending at Joan's car in the driveway. In 1961, the use of DNA analysis was still decades away. Only the blood type at the scene was identified as type O, a match to Joan's blood type. A theory that was suggested later connected the scene in the Rish home to a botched abortion. At the time Joan disappeared, abortion was still illegal in much of the United States, including Massachusetts. It was suggested that when Joan walked Lillian and Douglas back to Barbara's house, she was expecting a doctor to come over to perform the procedure while David napped. It was thought that empty liquor and beer bottles were drank by Joan quickly as an anesthetic. And during the procedure, something went wrong. Scared and bleeding, Joan attempted to call for help, 
and the doctor, in a panic, tears the phone off the wall and forces Joan outside. At the time, a doctor caught performing an abortion could be arrested, which would explain a doctor in panic tearing the phone off the wall. Martin Risch would later dispute this, saying that although he couldn't identify the empty beer bottles, the empty liquor bottle was from the previous night. Martin also insisted Joan loved children and enjoyed being a mother. Then, a new theory emerged based on Joan's actions in the months leading up to her disappearance. Serene Gerson, a reporter with the Fence Viewer, a local Lincoln newspaper, began looking into Joan's case. She discovered that in the summer prior to Joan's disappearance, that Joan had checked out 25 books from the Lincoln Library. Interestingly enough, many of these books were on murders and missing persons cases, including the book Into Thin Air, about a woman who, like Joan, leaves a trail of blood smears before she vanishes, leading Gerson to believe that Joan had disappeared on her own. The motivation being, Joan was unhappy being a housewife and regretted the decision to leave her career in publishing. However, those who knew Joan describe her as a devoted mother and housewife. Martin Risch remained in the same home until 1975, when it was purchased by the National Park Service. He continued to believe that Joan was alive, thinking that she had accidentally injured herself and had wandered away with amnesia. He never remarried and refused to have Joan declared legally dead. He passed away in 2009 never learning what happened to Joan that October afternoon. Then, nearly 56 years to the day Joan vanished, something happened that should have been seen as a bizarre coincidence, or incredibly ironic. On October 22, 2017, the son of Martin and Joan Risch, 58-year-old David Risch was reported missing when he did not return from an afternoon walk in Haverhill, Massachusetts. He was found four days later and 13 miles away in Raleigh, Massachusetts, disoriented and not knowing his name. According to news reports, David suffers from a memory impairment, which requires him to stay in assisted living and take medication which is strange based on his age. If this is a hereditary condition, it could be a clue to consider in Joan's disappearance. At a minimum, it should be a factor to consider in Joan's case. On January 4th of 2021, David once again went missing. He was found a day later wandering around Lincoln, Massachusetts. Near where he was raised, and where his mother vanished 60 years prior.
Forensics in 1961. We're in the Stone Ages compared to what crime scene technicians can accomplish today. Perhaps. There is a box of evidence in cold case storage that, if tested, could eliminate some of the unanswered questions in this case. If David Rich's memory problems are hereditary, at his age, Joan could have been experiencing early signs of a similar condition. It seems telling to me that Martin Rich insisted on amnesia as the reason for her disappearance. Perhaps he had already seen signs of it. Still, it is likely we will never know what happened to Joan Rich on that fateful October afternoon. Like so many other missing persons cases, with unique details and a story to tell. Which is why it, and the others, will remain our American mysteries. <laughs>